is Thor Sci-Fi. Thor Sci-Fi? <laughs> I don't normally... I know, right? <laughs> We're going to run a contest. Name that snort. <laughs> Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kirscher and Wendy Bowlesby. This week, Melissa and I take the long and winding road through our childhood movie indoctrination as we discuss Watershed Geek Movies. In Xanadu did Kula Kala state the Pleasure Dome decree, and in our podcast Pleasure Dome we'll talk about some it's been a week, but we're still finishing off that Malbec. That slight thumping sound you hear occasionally is the sound of a wine glass briefly being put down. It's a cinema pleasure. I remember X-Men. Mm-hmm. When X-Men came out. And it was good. And it was good. Yeah. And that's the thing that... That was a watershed moment. I feel mm-hmm. like this is the next podcast. This We finally found the theme for the next podcast <laughs> is these watershed moments. Watershed okay? moments, yes. Star Wars, mm-hmm. okay, and X-Men. When X-Men came out, there had been mm, enough bad superhero movies mm-hmm. that when X-Men came out and I sat down to watch it, I was like, please be good i just want a good movie please and then it was good and i was like oh my god it was good later that summer i went down to visit my mom in Mm -hmm. missouri and i'm like mom you have to go see x-men because it's actually good (laughs) and that was sort of the first good superhero movie of the modern golden age of superhero movies because the first x-men was it was amazing it really was good yeah, and and you watched it and went, oh, my God. And it was sort of a revelation of, oh, this is what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I loved movies. I had a mother who was like, I don't care if it's a school night. You're staying up late and you're watching this film. And I grew up on those Saturday afternoon, you know, Godzilla movies, thanks to my grandmother, mm-hmm. who, you know, she was like, great, you're going to sit in front of the TV for three hours. This works for me. Watch Godzilla. Watch Mothra. Oh, Mothra. Mothra. Love. With the twins that sing and then there's a the glitter. And the tiny little people. And then, yeah. but, but my grandmother also loved the Avengers with Patrick McNee. So I would oh, the Avengers is the best thing I in the do. world isn't it patrick Mineau was awesome with his oh. hat and his umbrella emma peel and emma fucking peel my my people mm-hmm. anyway so i would stay up like at till one in the morning which you know when you're like eight years old is like the bomb mm-hmm. and i would stay up late to watch the avengers all by myself in the living room of my grandmother's house fall asleep on the couch and i would wake up the next morning and my grandma would be like so, what time did you go to sleep? It was like 2 o'clock, but I watched The Avengers. Which one was it? Wow. Okay, so Mr. Steed was doing this thing, and Emma Peel, Emma Peel was doing this thing. And then there was this other thing, and I don't really understand. And so it's mm-hmm. it's an entire female DNA thing in my family. My grandmother, when I look back on it, she was hella cool. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. And she raised my mom, and there was a lot of weird family shit going on there. But she, she raised my mom to where whatever person she raised there, that my mom then in turn raised me and said, 
I don't care how late you're staying up. You're watching fucking arsenic and old mm-hmm. lace tonight. And I remember my mom having a friend who was a Vietnam vet. And he's like, I would like the kids to stay up late to watch. Um, I think it was, have you ever seen the rain? Which was mm-hmm. a Vietnam veteran war flick. He's like, I want them to stay up late to watch this because I feel like it's important that they have this exposure to mm-hmm. what the war was like for us. And I did like it. Nine years old. I was up till like one in the morning on a school night watching this Vietnam War flick. And even though I didn't get it, I kind of got it. Okay. All right. So, so Melissa, why do I love movies? Why do you love movies? Oh, goodness. I, I don't know. I, I, they, they came at me in early age and I've always loved movies. And well, my mom started taking me to movie theaters when I was about three years old. And my first movie was The Mouse and His Child. Oh, animated okay. film. Okay. Uh, if anybody remembers that. I, I don't know it, it but I have I think I've heard of it. It's kind of this obscure 70s animated movie. Apparently quite good. I haven't revisited since age three. Um, <laughs> Your perceptions it, might be skewed. I, I, well, I heard it's still good. <laughs> And then I saw Dumbo, you know, three years old, instantly uh, uh, taken by the pink elephant spits, terrified by it. And yes, here I am drinking wine. I I very clearly remember my movie seeing experiences in the theater. I remember seeing Star Trek the motion picture in the theater. I remember falling asleep. But... It's I saw it at the drive-in. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, know, right. Drive-ins are great. Anyway, if you so ever... coming back to oh, yeah, why, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Love why we love movies. Um, what else did I see in the theater very early? I remember uh, first run Empire Strikes Back, seeing it in the Terrace Movie Theater in Ramsdale, which is actually just a few blocks from where we are right now. It, it's no longer a movie theater, but it was this giant one-screen movie theater built in the Theater Palace era. And it was, still was by the time I saw Empire Strikes Back. And it was a rainy, thunderstormy, uh, I think it was like a weekday afternoon. There was nobody there. It was my mom and I in this thousand-person theater watching Empire Strikes Back with a thunderstorm outside. <laughs> yes! Oh, it was awesome! I know we're at like an hour and 27 minutes. That's why, that's because we need to cut like 20, 50, 40 minutes out of this. That's the only way this is going to make sense. We got to cut out the parts where we're drunk. (laughs) We don't have a podcast. (laughs) That was me putting down my wine glass, y'all. I think you tapped out the audio there. Boom! It's like dropping the mic. <laughs> Only in our podcast, is- we're not we're dropping things next to the mic. <laughs> and then the third movie I ever saw was Star Wars. How old were you? Three. You saw Star Wars at three? Yeah, mom took me seven times. I saw Star Wars when I was seven mm-hmm. because I was seven when it came out. So do your math on how old I am. Mm-hmm. And I proceeded to see it another 13 times in the movie theaters that summer. Yeah, same here. I think the seven was that same year. Because it just continued to be fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think Star Wars was a formative thing for me because I fell in love with Star Wars. Yeah. And I fell in love with movies in the theater. I saw Star Wars at the Glenwood in Kansas City, Missouri, which was this movie palace. 
And I remember walking out of it and the sun was brighter and the air was warmer and my life had been altered. Mm -hmm. And when people talk about Star Wars and the Star Wars generation, I feel like people who came after, maybe they downplay it or they poo-poo it or they just don't get it. Star Wars really was life-altering if you were at that age. It's true. But funnily enough, what I remember about Star Wars was my uncle showed up at our apartment my mom was a single mom. We were latchkey kids back when kids were allowed to be alone sometimes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my uncle showed up in Kansas City at our apartment and he went, I saw this movie. Put the kids in the car and we're going right now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sure, whatever. And so we got in the car <laughs> and we went right then over to the Glenwood. We saw Star Wars and my uncle was totally right. My uncle turns out and ended up eventually being problematic. But he was right about Star Wars, and that means that I will always forgive him for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. In my family, movies were important, and movies could tell stories that were important. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we kind of lost that right now in that movies are just so ubiquitous, and they're movie concerns, and and they're money-making machines, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm really trying to raise my daughter... With, un- with an understanding that movies can tell stories that are important. And we can learn lessons from movies. Well, they're the modern mythology. Yeah. They're, they're a, a shared language that we can speak with. And, it, it, and it, that it, we can use to teach ourselves yeah. lessons. My daughter's fucking in love with Disney princesses. And I didn't want my kid to be that kid. But you know what? She likes what she likes. She likes what she likes. And I'll be honest, I was a girly girl when I was a little kid. And I grew up to be a roller derby player who likes to hit people and who never wears skirts. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. She'll grow up just fine. But she loves Disney princesses. So how can I use Disney princesses to teach her what I want to teach her? How can I use movies to educate you on what is important in the world? Mm -hmm. And that's what movies do at their best. We are pro-wine on this broadcast. Yes, yes. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, so... A broadcast is... We are pro-wine on this podcast. (laughs) Shh. Don't talk. And we would go to the video store. For those listening close, you can hear wine being poured in the background. Glug, 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 glug. This stuff is apparently quite good. Uh, we approve we of, of Gascon Malbec. Uh, it is Argentina 2011. It is quite delicious. I have not had this before. I will buy it again. And I will have to watch the, or listen to this episode to remember what I liked. <laughs> Hi! <laughs> I, think, I think generations that came after Star Wars don't realize what a leap forward Star Wars was. If you want illustration of just what a leap forward it was watch the movie logan's run yes and then watch star wars right after it logan's run was released the year before star wars and won the oscar for best special effects oh my god it's gonna blow your mind also yeah they, logan's they, run and i love logan's run 
I will be I will be clear. I love Logan's Run. Logan's Run is great. I, I it's it's hard sci-fi. I love the concepts, but hard yeah. sci-fi also at that time meant yeah. slow-paced yeah. and pedantic. Oh my fucking god. Yeah. Now, even at seven, though, because I had been raised on Errol Flynn, mm-hmm. when Luke Skywalker shoots the little grappling hook, grabs Princess Leia, and she kisses him for luck, and they swing across the <laughs> chasm like an old-style total swashbuckling movie, mm-hmm. I got that reference at seven years old. Mm-hmm. And I laughed out loud. Anyway, Logan's Run. What I remember is as a child, like six years old, being fascinated by the idea of constantly running towards some unseen objective, looking for purpose. Mm -hmm. Now, I was a gifted child, (laughs) not to toot my own horn, but what this means was I had this whole narrative in my inner psyche of just like, what would I be running towards? What what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated by Logan's run, even though I had not seen the movie yet. I did not mm-hmm. see Logan's run until after I saw Star Wars. I yeah. didn't see Logan's run until I was like 10 or 12. Yeah, same here. Yeah. I got to see Full Metal Jacket in the theater way too young to see Full Metal Jacket. Oh, I think that was the first R-rated movie I ever saw. Great movie. Oh, great movie. And and thankfully, I was well-versed enough in the language of cinema to appreciate Full metal jacket, even at that age. But boy, if I had a kid that age, I would not let them see full metal Honest jacket. Honest to God, the movies that I watched as a kid now, I I don't know that I'd let my daughter watch, even though I now know. that I think about it, I'd be like, well, I watched that. What the fuck's the problem? Well, yeah. And, and that kind of baffles me, too. I don't have kids. So, it, you know, partially because I'm terrified of having kids. But, you, you know. You should be. I, I don't <laughs> should be. But, you know, I was thinking the the media I was consuming as a young child, I was reading Stephen King at age seven or eight because yeah. I was seeing those novels on my mom's dresser and those book covers were great. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, you know, Night Shift with the hand and the eyes in it. And, you know, I just wanted to read that. And I had this great curiosity for See, the where gruesome you went, and when the you horror went, and the... Yeah. When you went horror early, I went fantasy early. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was reading Chronicles of Narnia and the right. Tolkien books super way, way too early in terms of what my teachers thought I should be mm-hmm. reading. And fuck them anyway. And <laughs> except for Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones totally got me and she was on nice. my side. I love you, Miss Jones. I think you're dead now. Oh, boy. So, yeah, we went dark. Good. <laughs> Wait, was that Leo in Catch Me If You Can? Yeah. My husband and I love to use I concur. I concur, yes. From Catch Me If You Can. And then, ah, I should have concurred. Anyway. How about that? Yes. What was the point of all that? I don't remember. So let's pause for a moment to talk about Leonardo DiCaprio, who looked like a teenager until like a switch flipped and suddenly he looked like an adult. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's the magic of Scorsese. He's Is it Scorsese? You are now a real boy. Ding! Ding! Because, like, Titanic, everybody's like, oh, Leo. And I was like, whatever. Departed. Who Departed. Was the, who was the director of The Departed? Scorsese. Uh-huh. Leonardo. Leonardo DiCaprio showed up in The Departed. And for the first time ever, I was like, hmm. I would have sex with you. He lost the baby face. Though. Yeah. He looked like an adult. I'm yeah. like, oh my God, whatever Dick Clark medicine you were taking is finally worn off. 
And let's just take a byline. I think it's brilliant that uh, Scorsese cast Wahlberg and DiCaprio and uh, what's Matt, Damon. His, Matt Damon all in the same film because they all kind of look alike. I know. And it kind of meant to all look alike. And it's brilliant. And I actually Mark had, Wahlberg was fucking brilliant in that. That's the movie that made me, that was like, all y'all who hate on me for loving Mark Wahlberg can shut it. Yeah, I know. You went fantasy. I went horror. I went musicals. You mm-hmm. went. I, 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 I went to horror. sci-fi and yeah, yeah. mostly horror. I was way horror when I was a kid. Yeah. And I was a lot more fantasy SF yeah. in terms of, I wanted to watch the musicals. Oddly enough, I didn't see Singing in the Rain until I was in high school. My mom missed wow. that one. I know. I grew up on like Seven Brides oh, for that... Seven Brothers and Oklahoma, Kiss Me Kate. But somehow I had never seen Singing in the Rain until my freshman, might have been sophomore, might have been sophomore. I got shown it in a theater class. And when Lena Lamont starts Good talking, God. it was as big a moment as in The Sixth Sense when you realize at the end that he was dead the whole time. I was like, my world has just shifted. What the what the actual fuck? <laughs> I will, honest to God, I will always remember the moment that I figured out Bruce Willis was dead. And the moment I heard Lena Lamont speak are right up there with, my world has shifted in uh-huh. a profound way. Wow. I know. See, I, I envy the Bruce Willis is dead thing because Sixth Sense got spoiled for me. I know. Who was the asshole that did that? Well, partly it was my fault because I waited way too, like months and months and months and months. Ding. <laughs> right there. Ding. That's me doing a check mark with my hand. You can't see it, but Ding. It's true. She's doing a check mark with her hand. Brilliant radio. <laughs> I'm telling you. So we were originally talking about watershed moments in watershed moments in, in movies or in our lives mm-hmm. with our movie going right. sort of experience. So I'll back up a little bit, mm-hmm. and since you kind of had your life story, and, yes, it's and true. I had a little bit of mine, and not a yeah, but your yeah. life story was a lot younger because let's face it's it, true. I'm old. So. After seeing Star Wars like seven times in the theater at age three, you know, I was hooked. And, you know, like you, I um, learned the love of movies through my mother. My mom took me to all this stuff. Coming back to a feminist perspective. Yeah! Well, we were uh, one of the early adopters of VCRs. Yes! And we, so we had one of those big, giant, silver, top-loading motherfuckers with the button that would ka-chunk and the tape would pop out. VHS or beta? I did VHS. We had VHS we had, in our house. We had beta. Oh, oh uh, that's going deep down the rabbit hole there. Okay, call out to our friends at Geeks Without God. We Be- love you. We love you. And Geeks Without God, they have an episode called Drunk Molly, where one of their trio of speakers gets drunk. Molly. Hi, Molly. She we gets love drunk. you, Molly. Apparently, we've decided to take that a step further and have both of our speakers be drunk for every single goddamn episode. <laughs> what? We're going Hi. We're going 100%. Ding. Ding. Like um, Samuel fucking L. Jackson. Samuel L. fucking Jackson. I forget where the fucking goes. Anyway. <laughs> 
<laughs> I am in love with Chris Hemsworth. I loved him from Thor, and then you so love him from Thor. I loved him from Thor, and then I saw him in Cabin in the Woods. I love Cabin in the Woods so much. I know, I love it so much. That okay, Cabin in the Woods is a movie that was laser aimed at the pleasure centers of my brain. You totally had an orgasm. I watched you. Oh God, that was amazing. We saw Cabin in the Woods at Putnamathon. And the entire crowd went bonkers. And it's got Chris Hemsworth before he became huge. Yeah. Okay. Because he filmed that movie like two years before he did Thor. Yeah. Or and, something like that. But and I, they, they both came out during I actually the, spotted, that same year. I spotted Chris Hemsworth. Okay. Talking about watershed moments. I spotted him in Star Trek J.J. Abrams film. <laughs> because even though he had a bit part. He leapt out of the screen because he's so fucking charismatic. Mm -hmm. And you were like, who's this guy? I want more of this guy because even though he's kind of squinty eyed, I like him a whole lot. (laughs) And then Thor came out and Thor wasn't necessarily great. But Kenneth Branagh did a really good job of creating a world where you bought into a world of gods Mm -hmm. who showed up on Earth, which was necessary for Joss Whedon to step in and put the game on. Okay, so for all you Joss Whedon lovers, you need to give it up for Mr. Kenneth Branagh for setting mm-hmm. the stage for you in a really good way. What's interesting is that Joss Whedon is a theater fan and Kenneth Branagh is a comics book fan. Mm-hmm. I would like to say Thor is a really weird comics property and yes. there is no reason that movie should have worked at all. And you the know, fact that it works even a little bit is amazing. The reason it worked, Chris Hemsworth. Well, yeah, it's all about it's all about charisma. It is all about charisma. Yeah. You need somebody in the center of that movie who is so fucking likable that you will watch them no matter how ridiculous the premise. Oh, and Loki, and Loki, Tom Hiddleston, mm. also fucking charismatic as hell. Yeah, and Skarsgård. Yeah, and Portman. Portman's yes. good. Nah. Un- underused. No, no, no. It's Darcy. It's not Portman. It's mm. Darcy. Oh, you're right. It's Skarsgård and Darcy, mm-hmm. Hiddleston, and Hemsworth. And by the way, Chris Hemsworth's official geek name is Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> and all those H's are for extra hot. <laughs> but the point is, Hollywood needs to create a checklist of people who are just fucking charismatic and not worry when they're in a film because they're going to just be so charismatic you don't care. Thor is entertaining. It's entertaining in its own right, but the reason that you want to watch that movie over and over again is Tom Hiddleston, charismatic, and then Chris Hemsworth, charismatic. And then you get Thor 2, the only movie I have left a convention to watch. (laughs) And I went to watch it with a bunch of other geeks and then I walked back to the convention. I'm like, I saw Thor and it was so good. <laughs> it was so good. I can't wait for it to come out on DVD. I'm going to buy it on Blu-ray because I want the clearest definition of Chris Hemsworth's arm. And and ever. then you should invite me, Harper, because I never got to see it. What? I know. I was kind of busy this summer. Okay. So and shout out to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm-hmm. which has had a bumpy beginning, but... Let's be honest, Star Trek Next Generation, also first season, was incredibly rocky, so we're going to stick to it, but I feel like they're starting to find their game later in the season, and one of the reasons they have found their game 
is that Agent Hill showed up briefly and somebody was like, mm, is he really a god? And she said, honest to God, I've seen his arms. He's a god. <laughs> to which I can only say, I concur. I would like to backtrack a little bit. And since we're we originally started talking about watershed moments for watershed ourselves. Watershed moments. Um, the reason I started watching Star Trek The Next Generation, mm. I can only honestly say I've seen like four and a half episodes of any sort of Star Trek, even though I speak fluent Star Trek. Um, I'm kind of impressed. I know. I... I've had enough exposure to Star Trek through other people that I feel I don't actually need to see any of it. But, but we'll, we'll, we'll go back to Next Generation. Um, Next Generation uh, started on TV when I started dating one of my boyfriends in high school. Star Trek The Next Generation was kind of the thing where we'd go watch TV in his place while his, and his parents would leave us alone, so we'd close the door and watch Star Trek, which, which really meant, enough. you know, making out and oral sex and, you know, just long enough to hiding have... stains in the couch and things like that. You only saw the first 10 minutes. I only saw the first 10 minutes and... And the, the rest is, yeah, I don't know what. I think that there's a new generation growing up that's having like that same experience with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> You're telling me they're making out to, to Agent Coulson? Yes. Well, we were making out to Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart is kind of hot. Oh, I, he's totally hot. Is that? And I'm a snorter. Wait, with what? I snort when I laugh. <laughs> and so do I. You're. <laughs> we're gonna get really saucy one night, and this whole this whole <laughs> podcast is gonna be nothing but snorting. Speaking of watershed moments in our lives in cinematic history, right? We talked about Star Trek. We talked about the X Men films. We talked about yep. our personal watershed yep. moments. I had a watershed moment the first, but Namathon. Okay. Oh. Oh. Way, 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 yes. way back. Yes, on. 15 years ago. Harry Knowles had come as a guest of honor to our very first convention, Convergence Convention, in 1999. Months later, he posted on his website, anacolnews.com. He posted, oh, I'm going to have a 24-hour film festival. Now, as luck would have it, I was broke and unemployed, but what I did have was enough frequent flyer miles for a round-trip <laughs> ticket. Anywhere I wanted to go. Honest to God. And so a watershed moment for me was, I was like, I got nothing better to do. <laughs> and I mean that in every sense of the word. I'm going to fucking fly to Austin, Texas that I have never been to. I flew down to Austin the morning of. I took a taxi and got there by noon. Just I walked in just in time to watch this film festival. After it was over, 24 hours later at noon on a Sunday, I went back to the Austin Motel, which Yay! Harry Knowles delivered me to because it's awesome. First, we woke up and showered. Then we went to have dinner with Harry. Then we went to the Magnolia. And they're open 24 hours. Oh, if you ever go to Austin, Texas. The you... Magnolia has the best pancakes in the world. Oh, my God. Yeah. I wait all year. To have Magnolia pancakes. I finally introduced Eric Burgess and Brian Day to the Magnolia, and they finally were able to quell their skepticism of how you should eat at the Magnolia. 
cornmeal pancakes are the amazing thing. You like cornmeal. I, I like gingerbread. You like the gingerbread? I like the gingerbread. We're, we're like Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney <laughs> on that one song, you know. <laughs> Ebony whatever. and Ivory, my Ebony friend. and Ivory, all right. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Watershed Moments was from way back, like, I was in college and I was living with my mom. It was Thanksgiving Day. And this is the type of people my mom and I were. We're like, well, it's just the two of us and fuck holidays anyway. <laughs> because it's just the two of us and our our extended family were asshats. So we're like, fuck fucking, fuck fucking holidays. You know what we're going to do on Thanksgiving Day? We're going to go out to that new 12 screen <laughs> megaplex, which was new in the day, right? This was mm-hmm. new in the day, a 12 screen megaplex. And we went out there and we watched... I know we watched Beauty and the Beast, but I can't remember what the other two films were. But we did a whole day of movie watching. Nice. That's my mom that on holidays, we go spend all of our time watching movies. So when Harry Knowles said, hey, 24 hours of movies, I was like, it's a holiday. That's me. <laughs> I watch movies for an extended period of time without talking to people. And I went. And my life changed forevermore because I got to know Harry. I got to know the people there. I'm one of the few who has been there since the beginning, which, yeah, that gives me bragging rights. But it also means when new people show up, I can be like, hey, mm-hmm. how are you? I'd like to tell you how we do things here. Please come along with me. Yeah, you're like the cruise director of I'm Buttonamathon. <laughs> I'm totally Julie McCoy. <laughs> Fran Walsh, the co-writer of the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movies, the partner of Peter Jackson, we we had a nice long chat with Fran Walsh. And what she talked about, which was awesome and I totally want, which was a chronological re-edit of the Lord of the Rings. Oh God, that's right. Yeah. How awesome would that be where you started with like Smeagol and you just kept going like chronologically. Also, if you included... The Hobbit shit. We could get some. We could get some good White Council stuff in there. We could. The Hobbit that would make more sense. Yeah, because right now, fuck the three movie Hobbit thing. I love Tolkien. I'm a Tolkien nerd, and I am so disappointed. See, I hate Tolkien. I abhor Tolkien. Tolkien is a fucking awful storyteller. But is yeah. a brilliant world builder. See, I'm all about story, which means Tolkien <laughs> is my enemy. He, and, yeah, and he, I, as I, he should be. It, I I am of the belief that Tolkien is the 20th century writer most in need of an editor. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. And, and I say that as a Tolkien apologist. That man did not know what book he was writing yeah in the fellowship of the ring until three quarters of the way through my one copy of fellowship of the ring wound up being beat to shit because i kept throwing it against the wall you know what i made it through Les miserables the book are you kidding me i read the entire fucking Les miserables i quit lord of the rings oh yeah i don't blame you tolkien has shitty ass dialogue yeah what he is good at is world building and mythology and that is why people look at me strangely about the Silmarillion. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's what he's good at. Mm-hmm. He is good at epic world building, like Bullfinch's mythology type. And then when you finally see the Lord of the Rings movie and you cry because they got it right. And Aragorn has the ring of Barahir on his hand. And then like 
mm, seven months later, you're at San Diego Comic Con. <laughs> Flash forward to San Diego Comic Con. <laughs> In the year, I don't know what. Yeah. 2011 21 yeah. 21 not 2011 please 21 21 2001 <laughs> shut up there there are zeros in between there there's zero. there's anyway i go to the one year i go to san diego comic-con is the year right after fellowship of the ring came out and they had everybody from weta there just yeah. like standing around doing nothing I'm yeah like, like richard taylor standing there being bored and i go up to richard taylor i'm like I cry every time Boromir dies. <laughs> and Richard Taylor looks at me and he goes, Really? You're a fucking pussy. <laughs> it's the highlight of my life. Seriously, when I die, that's one of the top 10 moments of my life is Richard Taylor calling me a pussy. <laughs> that was a watershed moment. I'm really pissed that Radagast is played for laughs. I know, I know. Because in in the original stories, he's kind of profoundly respectable, and playing him with a bird shitting on his head. Let's get into the Hobbit. Let's get into the Hobbit. Okay, let's talk about the Hobbit. Let's, let's talk about let, the Hobbit. Let, let's get let's get deep into the Hobbit. So okay, I want to <clears> talk to you about the Hobbit in that. I am fine with them adding in all the White Council stuff because if you're going to play it as a prequel to The Lord of the Rings, you need to understand what was going on. And those of us deep into the Tolkien lore understand that the necromancer and all the shit that was going on and why Gandalf disappeared in the middle of The Hobbit was all about what was about to happen with The Lord of the Rings. Excellent. I want to see that shit. Mm -hmm. That said, I feel like the desolation of smog is completely filler and is unnecessary there is it i will say that i had more fun at desolation of smog than i had at the first hobbit movie that's what's but sad is that it's, it's really soft it's a it's, bullshit it's, it's, movie it's, and yet it's more entertaining it's more, than the first one well well the thing is here here's where i'm coming from i'm a big peter jackson fan from the 90s so as a jackson fan i come from loving bad taste and dead alive and the frighteners and in that period of his life peter jackson was a tremendously efficient storyteller dead alive is one of my favorite movies of all time because it's this rube goldberg machine where everything that happens causes something else to happen necessary and it's necessary and it and it moves and it's fast and it's engaging and it's balls to the wall and you even see that in the lord of the rings movies because yes it, because the story is so epic he has yeah. to be efficient yeah to fit it all in and yet yeah what happened with the hobbit is that it feels like nobody's around to go dude oh i know i know all i needed was somebody to stand there and go dude well, the great thing about Lord of the Rings is they have this huge amount of material and they boiled it down to only the things that affected Frodo. So talking about watershed moments, yeah, it's you took the Lord of the Rings, this fantasy epic mm -hmm. that has been in the geek, emotional, Jungian zeitgeist. <laughs> Right? Did you just say you zeitgeist? <laughs> That's amazing. Because <laughs> I'm drunk. <laughs> but this this Tolkien thing, like people since the 1970s have been like, if you were to cast the Lord of the Rings with people existing today, who would you cast? And the Lord of the Rings actually 
delivered. These people are now watching the the Hobbit and going, "Are you fucking kidding me?" I know. Because Jackson needed somebody to go, dude. You already have a great big battle with the dragon. Mm. Just fucking do that battle and move on. This whole second movie feels like so much fucking filler that I'm like, how are you going to fit it all into the third movie? Oh, wait, you're going to cut out shit that I think is important in order to fit it in. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to be pissed at you. The, The thing that's interesting about the second movie is that it is more entertaining than the first one because... It plays to Jackson's strengths a little bit more. Yeah. Because he's great at those scenes of comedic action. The dwarves in a barrel down a river scene where you've got that bizarro, there's this fight scene going on and there there's barrels and there's water. And and for whatever reason, it's engaging. It's entertaining. Because it but moves. It, it's entertaining because it's action, but it's not actually necessary. No, it's not. It's not at all. And, and you've but, got Martin Freeman. Yeah. And you've got Benedict Cumberbatch, and somehow you've made it not interesting. And I don't understand. I know. It, it, it's just kind of still more. Lord of the Rings, you had a vast amount of material, you boiled it down to the bare minimal. That you can had to move. You had to make choices, right? And whereas with Hobbit, you have a what two hundred fifty page book, and you're now, boiling it up to a three different movies. I am not opposed to it being a three movie deal, especially when you start adding in all of the White Council and Necromancer stuff. Mm-hmm. The problem is they have made poor choices. The I agree choices with that. they have made, you know what, if you're gonna make these choices, then two movies would have been enough. Mm-hmm. This has been Xandu Cinema Pleasure Dome. We have been talking about movies from a unique perspective for God knows how long because we've lost track of the time <laughs> while we've been drinking. This has been Wendy Bowlesby and that has been Melissa Kirscher. And we have been pleased to share with you our love, our deep and abiding love of movies. I love you all. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes up every Thursday. You can find us at xanaducinema.com and you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Join us next week when we tell tales from this year's Geek Christmas, the 2013 Buttonumathon. It's I feel like all of the peeing has been on my end. I, I, I have a giant bladder. Apparently. There, that's a, a button. Imp- that's a button. <laughs> I have a giant bladder. I'm impressed. Thank you. <laughs> Am I right? I am so right. You know I'm right. Just go with me. See, she's giggling because she's no. She knows I'm right. Listen to her giggle because I'm right. <laughs>